what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films, film reviews and discussion from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. Do you enjoy seeing interesting movies that you may not see anywhere else? Taking part in discussions about those films and live in Western North Carolina? Then you need to come be a part of the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films for December 2011. I am Alan. With me is Chris. Hello. Chris, how you doing? Doing good. Good, Hello. man. You ready to talk about some movies? Yes, definitely. All right. Well, the show format for this month is we're going to talk about our uh, the main film review, which is the film Take Shelter, which we'll examine in a moment. Then we're going to jump into some movie news, uh, a few items of interest in the movie world that uh, I always like to see if I can stump Chris with any news items that he is not aware of, <laughs> interesting film developments. And then we're both going to give a recommendation for a film we think you ought to check out. Could be a new film, could be an old film, anything goes. Let's jump into our main film review, which is the film Take Shelter. You got a good life, Curtis. I think that's the best compliment you can give a man. Take a look at his life and say, that's good. I love you, man. There's no one. Bye. What's the matter with you, Curtis? It sounds like thunder. What sounds like thunder? I've been having these dreams. They always start with a kind of storm. Take Shelter by director Jeff Nichols, this being his second film after uh, doing a film called Shotgun Stories back in 2007, stars Michael Shannon, who you may have known from Revolutionary Road, where he was nominated with a supporting actor uh, nomination, uh, The Runaways, and also he's on Boardwalk Empire, which I've never seen, but I understand that he uh, plays a pretty interesting role on that show as well. Stars Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain, who we saw earlier this year at a Foot Candle film screening with The Tree of Life, who's also been extremely busy this year with The Help, The Debt, and uh, working on another Terrence Malick project, too, which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. Anyway, starring Michael Shannon, Jessica Chastain, they star as a married couple, but the movie is really all about Michael Shannon's character, Curtis. Curtis, he's a devoted husband and father, a father of a young deaf girl, which is interesting and we'll need to bring up a little bit later. But he starts having visions and nightmares uh, throughout the film about horrific events happening. And they all seem to be tied around the idea of some large, almost apocalyptic storm coming. Uh, During the process, he researches mental illness. He speaks with counselors. But he never really seems to get any satisfaction from that process. And all the while, his family is starting to crumble apart around him, his friendships, his uh, relationships, all starting to be affected by this these visions and nightmares he's having and the, rea- and the reaction it's having on him. The whole movie really builds up to some events that uh, we're not going to spoil the ending as far as what exactly happens, but it does lead to a lot of questions about the state of mental illness, whether or not he was even crazy to begin with. A lot of big questions to talk about with this film. But with that, Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Michael Shannon, are we going to hear his name read? Uh, early next year for Oscar nominations. I would be really surprised if we didn't. Um, I 
remember seeing him in Revolutionary Road, but he didn't really stick out that much to me, even though he got nominated for an Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't watch Boardwalk Empire. So this was either. my first really heavy. I kind of recognized his name and face when I saw them together. But like, otherwise, if you just said Michael Shannon, I'd be like, I know I should know who that is, but I right. don't. Um, but now I think with this movie, especially if he does get a nomination, which I think he will, he'll really become a force mm-hmm. to contend with because, yeah, he was really really good. The movie hinged on him being believable, but it wasn't, it wasn't a performance that was like ridiculously over the top, like Daniel Day Lewis and say, uh, there will be blood. You know, it right. wasn't this like, you know, crazy dramatic performance. It wasn't a caricature. No, it, it was, was not. a very realistic portrayal of someone going through, uh, what he's dealing with. Um, right. I agree with you. I, I didn't think there was an insincere moment on his face and his tone of voice, his pauses, anything. And uh, I thought he really just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, granted, you know, put me on the spot, but I, I don't think I can think of another performance this year for uh, best actor that mm-hmm. I think could beat him. And I'm interested to see what the Academy comes up yeah. with. But right now, like he's definitely my, my lead. <laughs> granted, well, I just saw the film. But. And like you said, the, the film really does hinge on his performance. I mean, he definitely. is in every scene of this movie. Everything is more or less from his perspective, True. his dreams, his visions, interactions with others. It's all him. I can't even remember a part of the film where it was not centered on him to some sure. degree. So you're right. That does play a big part. Now, let me lead off that then. Knowing that you thought he did a really great job with the performance, mm-hmm. and you say that the performance really hinges on the success of the film, did that strong performance turn into a strong film for you? This film for me mm-hmm. was like, basically, Alan, I like spaghetti. Yep. Um, okay. Good to know. I do not enjoy cooking it and I would not watch the water boil. But when it comes time to actually eat the spaghetti, you don't want to be involved in the process, but you like the end result. Correct. Okay. This movie, I felt like I was watching water boil, Hmm. um, which, you know, washed pot never boils, you know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so the Mm -hmm. adage says, um, I thought the movie was well made, but the pacing in this movie was so deliberate and I didn't feel like it was accomplishing enough for me. That overall, I felt like the movie was was too long, I guess is a short way to say it. Um, Mm. For what it was trying to do and what it was trying to accomplish, I felt like it needed some editing. Um, The two hour two hour running time was a bit was a bit long for me. Um, But like the acting was good. But overall, I felt like the movie was just a little overdone Hmm. um, to me. I disagree with you there. I actually think uh, it was a long film. But I like the fact that it was just this building sense of dread and wondering where it was going. I felt like every scene had its place, and I felt like every scene, the pace was deliberate. And, and if, a, if a scene dragged out a little too long, it was meant to drag out a little too long. It was almost that constant building. I think if it had been gone too by too quick or been edited too much more, it would have almost been a little more frantic pace. In other words, he's going to go from step to step to step a little too, a little too quickly. I like the pace of it. I mean, it was slow. It was a long film. It was a two hour film, but I, I felt like every, I felt like every scene mattered. I felt like we needed to go along on the ride with him the whole way and to see even the smaller, quieter moments in well, between. The problem was there wasn't enough interesting going on on the frame. Really? Um, not to me, no. Cinemat- huh. Cinematography, I felt, 
for the most part was, especially in the quieter moments, or, you know, they just, some of it seemed to be a little lacking for me. And there again, could be due to budget. Um, cause this isn't like a multi-million dollar well, film, but it's also a film that didn't need sweeping landscapes and beautiful shots either. I mean, it, it, this was a very realistic well, that, film. That would have know. helped the time go by for me a little faster. Yeah. Like, you know, if I just didn't feel like that was necessary. I mean, you're looking at a very realistic film where, I mean, you felt like you were in the room with these characters as they were interacting. I didn't feel like anything was insincere. Anything felt staged or forced. And I almost felt like if it was like more attention were put to cinematography, it would almost distract you a little bit more. You well, wanted everything to be focused on Curtis's face, which is like 90% of the story is Curtis's face. The whole movie you're watching. True, true. But, um, that to me, unless you have a lot of interesting dialogue being said, or unless the shots themselves are very interesting, I live a realistic life cause I am real. I don't want to see shots of people's faces for two hours and that be all they're doing. Like there just needs to be a little bit more Hmm. cinematic meat on the bones. I appreciate the realistic portrayal because without there again, we can't talk about the ending or we don't want to, I guess, ruin it. Yeah, we we won't. Yeah, we won't Um, give away too much of the. But for me, this film was the most realistic portrayal of mental illness that I think I have ever seen. Okay. And I appreciated that. Because it wasn't making, seemingly not making value judgments on was he crazy, was he not crazy? You know, that that wasn't the point of the film. It's just for you to look into this window to this family's life and see what was going on. And that was interesting. But, for example, some of the um, the nightmares or visions he was having, they they just seemed to hit the same note over and over again. And they weren't they weren't as interesting to me as they could have been. Hmm. Um, but okay. they did seem very realistic, I guess, if that's what you're going after. But there again, let's say there were, let's say there were 10 sequences in the film that mm-hmm. were dream things. Okay. Um, if you're not going to make them very interesting, then I could do with maybe six. <laughs> it was just to me, less was, it's not that I, I understand what they're going for, a very realistic portrayal, but if you're not going to cover any new ground, and I, I feel like it just, I feel like it could have been shorter. Um, well, I see, I I guess I'm taking the approach of, I felt because it was so real, we don't need anything fanciful. We don't need anything overdone. We don't need anything stylized anymore. I mean, this was truly real. Even the visions he was having, they weren't the most, (laughs) some of them were not the most exciting visions in the world either. I mean, they were fairly simple, you know, not, a lot happening in some of them while some were a little more, a little more intense. Right. But they were all very natural. It's just, it was things that you could honestly see somebody having a vision of, or somebody imagining in their head happening. And, uh, I personally like the fact that they were not more visually interesting or more stylized or more fascinating to look at. I mean, it was a very, very real portrayal to me. I will say, I agree, I agree with you on, I do think this is one of the best portrayals of someone coping with a mental illness that I've seen. Because nothing was, nothing was a caricature again. It was not a, oh, he's going crazy, so he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and he's going to act this way. It was never that. It was subtle. It was he acknowledged along the way that, yes, I think something's wrong with me. It's not where he was just so blind to it all and just everybody's wondering what he's doing. I mean, he was very open to the fact that he knew something was going wrong in his head. And he looked for help, but then he couldn't find the help he wanted all the time and you know, I think his wife, uh, played by Jessica Chastain, I think responded to him like a natural person would. She was 
upset at times. She was mad at times, but then she became sympathetic as well. And she really had to manage a lot of different emotions because it's not all like you see in some movies where somebody's dealing with a mental illness and everybody around them rallies around them. And it's just this big support network. No, this was very real. This is what you would expect people to be like when faced with this kind of situation. So I agree with you on that. I think the realism was there with that. I, I just felt like, I felt like the pacing had to be more deliberate and I think it worked because it was a slow build film. I mean, it was, it was leading you down a path where you still didn't know those last 10, 15 minutes, exactly where this was going to go. Right. And there was a lot of points. I want to get your thoughts on the, on the ending without talking too specifically about it. But there were a lot of points in that last 15 minutes where they could have ended the film. Yeah. And I will say that was one thing I had about the film is I don't know how I felt about those last few minutes. Uh, the film could have been ended earlier and basically we'll not give too much detail here, but there is a point where the, the three family members, the husband, wife, and the daughter are together in a, in a storm shelter mm-hmm. and they're, you don't know what's going to happen when they leave the storm shelter. That could have been a good ending point. We come to the point after that where we see them eight months later and an event happens that kind of throws a lot of the rest of the film into some sort of a question. Is right. that where you got from it as well? Well, um, okay. So I'm trying to remain as vague I know, as possible. It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> I'll answer the first part. Uh, there was a point basically um, – you know, he tries this whole film to shelter his family, and there is a point, and he builds a or extends a shelter that's in his backyard. Right. And as you mentioned, at one point in the film, towards the latter half, they do make use of said shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like that would have been a good ending point. Yeah. Emerging, it, it, emerging from the shelter, I feel like would have been a good um, ending point. Now, to what happens after that... Um, and I think if they would have done that and not shown things on the outside of the shelter, it would have remained ambiguous, but ambiguous in what I would have in the way I would have preferred. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> As it turns out, the ending that you're talking about, when another thing happens that kind of makes you question the pre, you know, the film or previous events in the film, um, I feel like it was still ambiguous, but in a way that was an irritating. And without trying to ruin too much, I'm not sure that it was anything more than yet another, um, yet another dream or another vision or okay. another. I'm not. Sh- I tell you what, hey Chris, what we're going to do? We're going to put on the spoiler alert. Okay. You okay with that? Sure. So if you're listening to this and you do not want to be spoiled with any of the film, because I do think we need to talk about it a little bit more to get our opinions out there. Okay. Just skip ahead. Fast forward like one or two minutes here. We're going to do this real quick. You okay with that? Okay. Okay. Spoiler alert is on. Okay. So the end of the film, yes. the whole movie is gone where he is, he, he kind of committed himself to building this shelter to protect his family yes. from what he saw as a storm coming. Yes. Storm does come, but yes. it's not a huge storm. It is not a bad storm. He well, uses the shelter. It's, well, it's a pretty big storm. Eh, they get some things blown down, but they would have been safe in their house, I guess is what I'm saying. They use the shelter. He he was very you know, he 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 really felt like there was something going on outside mm-hmm. that was bad and they shouldn't go out there and something mm-hmm. was wrong with the air and everything. Even after it was over, that's right. Started, yeah. He didn't want to go out. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that you know the wife con- convinces him, says, "No, you need to get you need to open the door and let us out." And this is a healing process for you to see that there's nothing bad out there. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, opens the door. Yes, there had been a storm. Was not that bad. Not deserving of a storm shelter, but. Obviously, the idea was, okay, he realized everything's okay. 
he was fine. The heir was fine. His family's fine. He's safe. Right. But then at that point is when they meet with a psychiatrist shortly mm-hmm. afterwards. And he's told that, yes, he probably needs to go away to get some care. Uh, and they're on vacation. They're at the beach. And right. as they're sitting on the beach. Myrtle Beach. Uh, yeah, Myrtle Beach. Yeah, go, go South Carolina. Uh, they're at the beach. And all of a sudden, a huge storm in the horizon with funnel clouds coming out of the water and right. just is approaching. Right. And the what the rain is dripping with kind of a yellow oily substance, which, which is something that he saw a vision of visions, yeah. early on. And then the family just stands there amazed at what's coming towards them. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the spoiler. So at that point, there is a question mark of did he was he really seeing these visions and they truly were visions of what was happening? Or, as you mentioned, was that ending sequence another vision in his head? Right. We don't know. And the and the discount to that is. The wife, theoretically or seemingly, is the one that sees the oil drops on her hands. Right. So that would make you think that it was, quote unquote, real because he wasn't seeing them. on. No one else in the film had actually seen any of the visions he had. Other than him. Right. Now, um, so that could be. And we know, you know, the whole beach thing could have been nothing but one of his dreams. We don't we don't know. We don't know if it was because we didn't see him wake up. You know, we we don't know. the things that make me think it was real was that the little girl is the one who sees a storm. Yes. Now she doesn't look as freaked out as what he ends up looking like. She's just like, Oh daddy. Cause his back is to the beach. And she's like, she makes the sign for there's a storm. Yep. And then he turns around, he sees it. And then the mom comes out on the porch and she sees it. And then they kind of go into the house and she sees the rain on her fingers. And then he actually calls the wife back into the house. Right. Um, my interpretation of the ending actually, okay, I'm cheating. Uh, my fiance was there last night. She saw it and we discussed a little bit before you mm-hmm. know, we left and she actually kind of told me what she thought it was. And I totally agree. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm stealing it from her. Thanks, Brenna. Um, I think it was nothing more than the wife had stated when she was with the psychiatrist with her husband, like, okay, needs to go send, but we wanted to go to the beach. And the guy was like, yep, that's cool. You didn't go to the beach for a break. And she's like, oh, good. You know, you'll give him a chance to, you know, relax and then he can come back and go to work or something. And the psychiatrist is like, um, no, he's going to need some more time. He's going to need more of a break. He's going to need serious treatment. Right. So the wife was like, oh, and it was kind of like a wake up call to her. Like, no, this isn't going to be a quick fix. So the storm was basically at the beach. I think there was a storm coming. Now, did it have the funnel clouds? I don't know. Did it actually have the brown rain? I don't think so. But what that was, I think, was the director's way or maybe the husband's way of seeing that the wife was now seeing that it was not going to be a quick fix to his problem. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're at the beach and everything's going to be good. And it's like, no, there's still this storm. And he is perceiving this storm as still being a major problem and still kind of starting to freak out again. Mm. And I think it's her way of seeing like, no, the storm's not over. This is going to be a storm that's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be take a while. I can see that as one interpretation. I, I honestly, my gut feel was there's a lot of, a lot of people who believe mental illness is a way that, people who are suffering from some form of mental illness with visions or premonitions or anything are actually a little more in tune with what's really going on in the world around them Hmm. than maybe the more sane people are using air quotes around the word sane. Um, That in a way he was seeing these visions. It truly was an apocalyptic ending Hmm. coming storm wise. And it's kind of a, well, see, there you go. You know, it's actually sometimes we need to listen to what some people are saying that's what I got from it. Now, do I like that ending? If that's the case, no. But that's where I felt like maybe the director was going with it. 
because there was a, there were enough flashes or instances throughout the film about the world around us, the economy, gas prices, other things mentioned or shown in the film to give us this sense of there's just a lot of mounting pressure going mm-hmm. around people. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way the director is saying that's kind of like leading us to this, this ending. Now, there again, that's what I got from it. Uh, I don't like that interpretation of it, but that's <laughs> what I got from it. So um, huh. I guess we can turn off the spoiler alert now. We'll go yeah. back to talking about the film. So if you're skipping ahead or trying to close your ears, safe you, you're now. safe to listen now. Anyway, um, other things with the film itself, uh, you know, had you seen st- shotgun stories? Uh, no, I film? haven't. No, I have, I have not, not either. I'm, I'm more tempted to see it now. Um, Michael Shannon was also in that film and the two of them are actually, uh, Jeff Nichols is working on a third film, which just sounds really interesting. It's called mud hmm. and it stars Reese Witherspoon, Matthew McConaughey and Michael Shannon. Okay. Uh, it has to do with some youngsters who are trying to help a ex convict or a, somebody who's escaped from prison off of an Island. That's huh. all I've read about the description Interesting. comes out, I think in 2013. So it should be uh, so that'll be their third film together working on, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing shotgun stories. I've heard good things about it. And because I did like this film as much as I did, I'm anxious to go see what else he's done. I think his, I haven't seen shotgun stories, but from what I think I remember from what I kind of read, it's kind of like, you know, realistic portrayal mm-hmm. of small town life with people that make some bad decisions. Right. And it's, it seems very similar in tone and storyline to kind of like take shelter. It doesn't deal, I think with mental illness, but sure. it's the same type stuff. So it right. seems like that's his, that's his thing. Niche is realistic yeah. portrayals of drama in everyday yeah. life. And uh, I'm so. fine with that. So I, I like the film. I'll admit when it ended, I was a little unsure how I felt about it. And it's one of those where I had to sit on for a few hours and think through, but ultimately I liked it. Um, I thought it was good mainly because I liked the fact of it's realistic portrayal of somebody going through what they perceive to be a mental illness issue. Uh, even though there are some questions cast on that at the end, regardless, it's someone who thinks, I think there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do about it. I don't have all the resources available to me. Uh, I don't feel like I should tell my wife cause I don't want to scare her. You know, I have a, a, a deaf young daughter to protect. It's a lot of this pressure. And then you feel like something's going wrong in your brain too. It's, I think I just love the way that they showed him reacting to his own situation and the path he went down. It was almost an extreme, negative, depressing version of Field of Dreams. You know, the movie, Kevin Costner movie. If you build it, bad things will still happen. That's anyway. right. Yeah, he's, he's fascinated by this, this storm shelter for the right. same idea. He feels like something's happening. Nobody else believes him. Nobody else buys it. But it does come out with some different endings than obviously baseball players coming out of a cornfield. So um, anyway, overall, any other thoughts you had on the film? Uh, Um, I thought Jessica Chastain's work in this was was excellent. Um, She was good in Tree of Life, but she it was all like facial expressions and she didn't have a lot to say. It was a very muted performance in Tree of Life. This she had a much more out front performance and I really liked it. Um, Mm. The help, which she was in also this year, I felt was more of kind of a. I guess a stereotypical role type thing. It was more, it didn't impress me that much. I mean, she was fine. It wasn't bad, but, but in this, I thought it was a much more, you know, meatier role for her. According to IMDB, they are in post-production, meaning they've already filmed an untitled Terrence Malick project that she's also in. Wow. Now there were some rumors that they had actually shot something as kind of a counterpiece to the tree of life. Something that t- continued with that family, something else story-wise. I don't know if it's the same thing or not, but mm. 
regardless, she's had a really busy year, and I think uh, I think she's probably going to turn into one of our our better actresses here in the film so. world in the coming years as well. So. Yeah. Good. So Death Takes Shelter, a uh, little bit of different opinions on it. I think uh, we, we saw some different things in it. I think we both agree Michael Shannon definitely nailed the performance. Yeah. No doubt about that. And Jessica Chastain was good as well. And I, I think you seem to be more of a fan of the director than I am. No, I, I liked it from a yeah. directing standpoint. I, I, I just thought it brought the right amount of realism. And the I thought the pacing was, was necessary the way it was. <laughs> uh, you had some issues with the pacing and... Just you know what was actually happening as the story progressed, and it could have been a lot of. I think you said editing could have yeah. been done. So, all right, good. Well, Take Shelter is in theaters now. Select theaters. Uh, should be going to DVD or Netflix in the next, uh, let's say, four to five months or so. Uh, I personally think it's definitely something to check out. Uh, if it sounds at all interesting from our review here, and uh, let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. We do have a a mesh line set up that I wanted to mention here at the end of this review a phone number set up for the mesh, our network here of shows that if you have any questions, comments, or if you saw take shelter and want to give us some feedback on what you thought, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you leave us a voicemail that uh, really works for us, we may even be able to play in a future show, but that number is eight, two, eight, six, one, nine, zero, zero, four, eight. And you can find that number also on the mesh website at themesh.tv. Give us a call. Leave a voice message on the system. Let us know as a message for Foot Candle Films. We'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, or comments on Take Shelter. With that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be discussing some movie news and also our picks for the month. So stay tuned. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, Sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. And we're back. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. And what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into our movie news. This is where I have culled the internet and found some interesting movie news to share with my partner in crime, Mr. Fry here. Excellent. And uh, maybe these are things you have opinions about, maybe not. This could be a very long segment, or it could be very short, depending on your thought process here. Okay. Now, there is a theme to my three news stories, but I want you to see if you can figure out what that theme is. This is why I would never do this segment, because I don't think I could come up with a theme. I love doing this segment. <laughs> I know. This is, this is awesome. This, okay. I like it. I just there is a theme it. between these three stories. Okay. I'm going to see if you can pick out what that theme is. Oh, so now I end. have to guess the theme. Uh-oh. Yes, you do. Okay. When you get to the end. First story, Steven Spielberg. Oh. He has two films coming out this December, like this month. Uh, the Adventures of 1010. Oh, right. And War Horse. Yes. Two very different looking films, mainly because 1010 is an animated film. First mm-hmm. one Steven Spielberg has ever directed. Uh, 3D, CGI, all that jazz. Uh, based on a, uh, uh, stories that I'm not familiar with. Vaguely familiar with them. I remember reading at least one or two of them when I was a kid. Okay. And then War Horse is a little more traditional, what I call traditional Spielberg, and that it's big, epic, sweeping, about a young boy and a horse, and the horse gets uh, put in World War One as a, as a horse to help with the army, and the young man tries to find the horse and help him, and all that. It sounds like a perfect Spielberg film to some degree on that end. My question to you, though, is, does Spielberg still have it? I mean, he has made a lot of films. He has not really slowed down tremendously in making films. But I'm curious to see, do you still hold him in the same regard 
that he was back in the 80s. Uh, from a directing style, were you ever a Spielberg fan? Uh, and how do you see his progression right now? I, yeah, I, I am not a uh, Spielberg fan now. I think since Schindler's List, he's kind of just, I think he found what it, I mean, he got what it took to win Oscars. And since then, he's kind of been, you know, like immediately after that, he did Amistad, which I thought was kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan was okay, had some good moments, but I still think it tried a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess, I don't know if I was ever a Spielberg fan, but I did like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of and, his key 80s and movies. And yeah, the Jaws, some of the stuff that got his, his right. start. Yeah. Um, maybe when he wasn't concerned enough about making important films, just making films that he thought would be good. Right. You know, but now it seems like he's really driven on making an important film or with the example of 1010 going to something that's like nostalgic for him. Cause I think he obviously had some love of this stuff probably more than I did. Cause I think they came out probably when he was a kid as opposed right. to when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't, well, let I'm, me ask I, you. I'm not interested in seeing either one of those really? actually. No. Well, let me ask you, what's your favorite Spielberg film? I love putting you on the spot with these questions by the way. So, um, hmm. I'll tell you mine's close encounters of the third kind. I love Close Encounters. That is my, one of my favorite movies of all time, right. let alone my favorite Spielberg film, followed pretty closely by Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those two are really up there for me as far as favorite Spielberg films. Raiders of the Lost Ark would probably be my favorite. Okay. Um, but I also hold a, a fondness in my heart for Jaws, um, sure. which I didn't really realize how good a movie it was until I saw, I saw it when I was younger, probably you know, middle school, high school or whatever. But then I saw it again only within the past five years or so. And then I was like, wow, this is so much more than just, you know, a shark movie, which I didn't realize as a kid. Well, what about worst Spielberg film? Is there a Spielberg film you just hated? Um, I, you know, the thing is, I'm, this proves to you how much of a non fan I am that I in my head can't rattle off Spielberg films or films. Cause if I was, I could just like say, Oh, this, 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 that, you know, and I could tell you like his whole filmography, but um, well, I will say I was a huge Spielberg fan, 80s and, and even in early 90s. I just loved everything he did. He did start to slip for me as well, mid 90s going onward. Okay. Uh, I almost see his films now where either he's doing the important Oscar bait film or he's doing a very, like you said, nostalgic, maybe a little more kid focused, a little more franchise focused. You franchise know, he kind of has focused. the two polar opposites. Yes. And I don't I think when you try to force your films into one of those two camps, you lose something. Um, I don't think his Oscar-worthy films have really been that great. I, I know uh, several of them have gotten some good uh, accolades. I know there was the one uh, about the Berlin. Um, what was that film? Gosh, I can't even uh, believe him. Munich? Uh, Munich, yeah. Munich I thought was okay, but not great. Uh, same thing with Amistad. I thought that was a mess as well. And then he's been doing his uh, more friend, the Indiana Jones, the fourth one, which was really not that, that great. I don't understand and, why he did that at no, all. No, that was not a good movie. And then uh, – some of the other commercial ones have just eh, been real hit or miss. So I take it back. Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. But here again, I don't know his filmography because I'm not that big of a fan. Catch me if you can. That was a good movie. That, and that was his, right? Yeah, that was a okay. good movie. Yeah. That's the movie in, well, recent, but it came out a while ago. That's the most recent movie I can remember by him that I was like, wow, I really liked that. And movie. I agree with you. I thought that was good. Worst Spielberg movie for me, Hook. Did you ever see Hook? I did. Good I gosh, don't remember that was horrible. thinking it was, and it was long too. Oh, it was long. It was a mess. It was just, 
everything went wrong with that one. So I just, I honestly hate that movie. (laughs) I can honestly say I hate that movie when it comes on. Yeah. Uh, Such wasted potential for a story. All right. We've kind of gone down that path, but the idea was, I was just kind of curious your take on Spielberg now, now that he's kind of, he's got two movies come out in the same month. It's going to be interesting to see how they play, how well, well done they are. Um, so anyway, just kind of curious on that. Yeah. Moving on to the second one. Okay. Another director, David Gordon Green. Huh. Now, this is a gentleman that has made a lot of small films. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Washington was his first one. Mm-hmm. He did All the Real Girls, Undertow, and then Snow Angels, a film we showed at Foot Candle Film Society. Yes. All of those films, small town, a lot of interpersonal relationships, dramatic with a little bit of underlying intensity and just some elements of danger from time, but it's just a very intense relationship movie making person. Yes. Then something happened and he started making pineapple express. Mm -hmm. Your highness. Yep. And now there's the sitter coming out, which stars. uh, I did not realize that was the David Gordon. It is starring. uh, What's the guy? Jonah Hill. All three lowbrow comedies. Although I, I thought pineapple express was okay. I liked it, it. It did a little more than just be a lowbrow comedy. But from what I understand, I did not see Your Highness. Neither did and I. And The Sitter is coming out soon. But from what I understand, they are basically flat-out lowbrow comedies. Yes. So what happened? I mean, what would you imagine? You're a, you're a young director making a lot of important films, but probably not getting a lot of money from it. Is this a money thing? Is this just, Or do you feel like maybe he's always been a, a, a comedic director, just never had the opportunity to make good comedies, and now he's trying to do that? You know, um, I... I think I can already maybe we'll have to see what the third news story is, but I think I know where the I think I know where this segment's going. Mm-hmm. Um, David Gordon Green, I liked his first four or so movies that you talked, and I've seen mm-hmm. all of them. I really liked him. Undertow maybe got a little repetitive as far as theme wise with some okay. of his other stuff. It didn't kind of Snow Angels. I mean, it was all like you said, small town struggles, like kind of unhappy, kind of downer type movies. Right. Um, but they were all really good, and I love the cinematography. And there again, languid pacing does not necessarily make a movie boring to me. Like in mm. Shotgun Story, or not Shotgun Stories, but Take Shelter, I felt like there was enough going on in the frame. He has a lot more going on in the frame, and sometimes there are periods of silence and pondering and stuff mm. like that, and I don't mind it as much. It's just kind of how the director chooses to work. But anyways, um, those were those were good. Pineapple Express was a complete departure, mm-hmm. but it still worked for me. Sure. I don't know... You know, it could be nothing more than, hey, I want to make comedies because they're more fun to make. And I kind of got in a rut doing these family. But um, I just don't think they're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the, at least what we're hearing about them anyway. So I'm right. just I'm curious about that. I was curious to see somebody take such a dramatic shift right. in their in their the tone of movies. And I agree with you. When Pineapple Express came out, yeah, it was a fun movie. It's comedy, but it also had some action to it. And I'm like, okay, well, that was a good departure. Normally, when you see a, depart- a director make a departure, they go back right. to their wheelhouse after that film. He didn't. He kept going down that co- that comedy path, and that seems to be where he's fairly well suited, or or, or down that path right now. And I, I don't see any indication of coming back. But right. anyway, we'll see with that. All right, third one. Okay. <laughs> M Night Shyamalan. Oh, Shyamalan Madino. Yes. Yes. So he has a new film coming out. Wow. Called 1000 AE. Okay. Starring Will Smith and his son, Jaden Smith. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I never saw Pursuit of Happiness, which were both those guys in there? Yeah, that, I yeah, did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll just leave it at that. It's a science fiction adventure. 
about humans no longer being able to live on Earth because Earth has become inhabitable. But then somehow this father-son duo, which they play father-son in the movie, get crash-landed back on Earth and have to deal with it. So, sounds like big budget, big Will Smith uh, star power on it, but it is Shyamalan. Now, yeah. I will did, say, did for he the write re- it? He co-wrote it. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal with Shyamalan for me. I loved Sixth Sense. Yep. I loved Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. I actually thought Unbreakable was a very underrated movie. I, I think it's really, really sharp. Okay. Then he went to Signs, which was okay. The Village, I thought was okay. Lady in the Water, I thought it was a huge misfire, but at least it was ambitious. Right. Then I saw The Happening, which I, I keep a record. I don't know if you know this. Every year, I keep a list of all the movies I saw that year, and I rate them top to bottom. Wow. The, the, the Happening, absolute worst film of 2008 I saw. But I saw it with you. Kind of fun to see in no, the No, it was fun. It was a great experience. At the screen <laughs> it was, was a awesome. fun experience, but it was a horrible movie. <laughs> yes. And I never saw The Last Airbender because my thing is, if you make the worst movie of the year, I'm not going to see your next movie unless somebody pays me to do so. Or you hear that it's really good. Sure. And reviews for that weren't good. So, so why my question to you is, what's up with this guy? I mean, it, it, it's is there is this the kind of film that could redeem a director like this? Do you feel like you've seen that general progression downward that I saw? Or do you feel differently about any of his films? Um. I think I may have liked The Village a little bit better than Signs. So I may flip those as mm, far as okay. like, right. um, but no, I I was the same way. And I think maybe what he got into was he was too bent on doing a twist always with his films. And so that kind of brought him down. Yeah. And uh, well, when you make your first two movies and kind of your third movie, Signs had a little bit of a twist, not really a good one. Right. I think that kind of set it up to where everybody started to expect that after right. a while. And it kind of starts to pigeonhole you as a director. Everybody expects that to happen. And then you force yourself trying to step out of that and people get disappointed. And I'm on the same page with um, Lady in the Water. I really wanted to like Lady in the yeah. Water because I'd heard all these people say, oh, it's, you know, it's different. It's but I felt like it was ambitious because he was just kind of doing what he thought would be cool. Sure. And then, but – the end result work. was it really just did not work no. and was not good. But at least it was creative and he tried, he was doing all this stuff. So um, I was not ready to write him off after Lady in the Water. No. I was really anxious I to was see what to his see next exactly film was going to be. Do next to try to, yeah. And the happening was the happening horrible. Was horrible. And then I was actually encouraged when he did Avatar because I was like, okay, he's going to. The gonna, Last Airbender. Oh, sorry. Yes. yes. Copyright issues yes. here. Avatar issue. is James Cameron now. That's right. Yes. But when I heard he was doing that, I knew a little bit about the cartoon. My kids have watched it. I didn't know a whole lot, but I was like, okay, cool. He's going to take an already established idea. He's not so proud that he won't do an adapted script or something. Right. And he's just going to, you know, he'll prove that he can still direct something. In. And then I heard it was horrible and I never yeah. saw it. Right. So um, with this new movie that you've mentioned, it could be the type of thing to redeem him. Um, I'm, I like Will Smith. Okay. But I think he has a tendency just to do like commercial movies, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of commercial movies. I kind of don't really think his son, it kind of irritates me maybe that his son's in the movie because yeah. it's like, he's the only reason he's in it's because his dad's in it. And, all, and he was in the karate kid, that reboot they did with uh, Jackie Chan, which I didn't see. Well, here but, was my, here's I mean, my question on this whole new movie is that, all right, studio, the happening not only critically was a flop, but box office Money was wise. a flop. The last Airbender. Some big names in it. Too. Yeah. Mark the Walker. last Airbender was a huge flop. Did not make any money. And that was and got probably a big planned. budget too. So how is a studio funding a giant science fiction epic film 
starring Will Smith, one of the bigger box office name draws we have right now. Right. With Shyamalan attached. I, I, that's what I don't get. I mean, if I'm, a, if I'm a studio executive and I'm seeing this progression of films quality-wise, right. uh, putting a huge, probably what's going to be a tentpole film, you know, for one of your biggest box office stars, that's a really risky move. Yeah. So I'm very curious about that, but that's uh, a film coming up I just thought was was interesting I like talking about. A weak spot for me is science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I like science fiction movies, even if I've kind of heard they're bad, unless they're like absolutely completely horrible. I'll see them just to kind of, you know, um, because I like science fiction. So I'll probably go see it anyway. Um, Let me know how it is. (laughs) Okay. So were you able to pick the theme out from these three stories? Yeah, I'm assuming directors that have been high that have kind of fallen off the wagon. Or as I like to say it, so they don't make them like they used to. Ah, <laughs> there yes. you go. True. Yes, three directors. I'm just I'm curious their evolution. Spielberg, not as much. I don't think his is a downward slide as much as it's just he had his high high notes. He's at a different level now making some films, but I don't think the quality of his films over the last 10, 15 years has diminished. Yeah. It's just, they're not where they were back in the eighties. Well, and I'll, I'll say between those three Spielberg is like, you know, I still don't, I may not like his movies, but I can appreciate them. They're yes. well-made They're you know, so yeah, he's, He's know, on a, a bad movie of Spielberg. Yeah, he's on a different level. Yeah. Um, like you've mentioned, the happening is just bad all around. Yeah. Just like, you know, it was a horrible um, movie. Gordon Green, I don't know. That's just more of a tonal shift there to drop, to be at one level, performing at a certain level, making films. And then all of a sudden you take a drop where now you're making. Now, granted, The Sitter could come out and be awesome, but right. that's I, not what I'm hearing so and far. And I can't so. fairly judge him because I didn't see, I didn't see uh, Your Highness. Yeah, I didn't either. I'm, so. I, I got warned enough about that. <laughs> okay, so that was, uh, that's our news there. A little bit of a fall from grace. Don't make them like they used to. What's happened to them kind of guys. Right. Uh, three directors there we like to talk about. So if you have any thoughts on either of these three or the films that we're talking about they're working on, we'd love to hear, uh, hear from you on the mesh line. Feel free to uh, drop us a voice message or write us at info at TV, and we'll uh, get your email that way too. Lastly, let's move on to our recommendations for the month. This is where we like to mention a film that each of us want to recommend. can be an old film, new film, who knows, anything's fair game. But the time is to let you know of some films that maybe you missed, maybe you're not as familiar with that we want to encourage you to go out and seek out this month, especially with the holidays coming up. You got a little downtime, you got a little family time. So Chris, your film, is it a one we can sit around uh, watching over a Christmas, uh, Christmas dinner that evening or, or not? <laughs> well, uh, the, the adults could, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything objectionable for the kids, probably not a family movie, but um, the film that I'm going to recommend, and this is kind of a, um, cure all for the down in the dumps kind of depressing take shelter yes is a a mockumentary called the trip should be two rooms under the name coogan we only have one double room what do you think's gonna happen you might touch my bottom were you an altar boy what do you got plenty of heat in my scallops heat chino I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, My name's Michael Caine. You were so wrong. Michael Caine used to talk like this. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it. When it gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. And you don't do the broken voice, but it gets very emotional. 
Oh, yeah. Tell me about this. This is a British comedy that was done by director Michael Winterbottom, which I am a big fan of his. And it stars Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. And these two gentlemen were, are you know comedians that are well better well-known in uh, Great Britain. But they did a film for Michael Winterbottom called uh, Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story. And basically in that, that's also kind of a mockumentary in a way about the behind the scenes of a making of a film, Tristram Shandy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically the idea for this film was get these same two actors and kind of show another part of their life. Like, you know, this kind of like catching back up with them at a later period after they've already made this movie and they're just like friends or whatever. Um, And ostensibly the story is that they go around the English countryside stopping at different restaurants and they review them. And, uh, that's generally the theme of what happens in this movie. And, uh, yeah. So, and along the way, uh, you get to see different sides of their personalities. Now, whether they're true or Mm -hmm. whether they're fake, you don't, so they're playing themselves. Yes. And when asked about why Steve, when Steve Coogan was asked about why he did this, he responded as follows. Winterbottom wanted something more substantial based on what we feel when we did them. And all I could say was, why do you want to do this? Why the hell do you want to do this? What is the interest? And then he starts weaving in words like Coleridge and slightly expanding on Rob's worldview. I don't think Rob actually has a worldview. Okay, so that's not a very oh, good impression of no, Steve Coogan at all. very nice, though. So the movie is basically also one-upmanship between Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Both of them do awesome impressions, much better than my failed Steve Coogan just then. Wait a minute, that wasn't Steve Coogan just piped in there? I know, You may have thought that I transformed, no. Okay, impressive. uh, They do Michael Caine, they do uh, Al Pacino, and they, it's almost, it's like they're not even impressions because the way they do them, they can change the impression. Like they can do five different impersonations of Michael Caine. You're like, how is that even possible? You do your impersonation. It's it's like, no, it is. And they, they bounce off each other and they are such a good comedy team. And Bryden basically plays the happy straight man Mm -hmm. and Coogan's the more affected, jaded Mm -hmm. star and everything. And it's just, it's awesome. And, um, now granted, I wouldn't say it's like the best film of this past year or anything, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's on Netflix. It's on iTunes. It's really good. Yeah, now, wasn't show. it also a series of uh, TV episodes from, in Great Britain? From what I understand, yeah, the the BBC or whatever wanted Michael Winter, Winterbottom to do this, and he did it kind of as a TV series. And then what they did is they basically edited pieces together and made it made a, a film. Okay. So that's good. So a fun, uh, fun travel comedy with some sounds like some kind of meta yes. references to characters and yes. themselves and playing off their own personalities. Ben Stiller makes a cameo. Yeah. And, you know, okay. Good. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I also have a film that's uh, from across the pond. Okay. Um, my film uh, by director Alan Parker, who's an English director. He's directed such films like Midnight Express. He did Pink Floyd's The Wall. Okay. And he did Mississippi Burning. And Angela's Ashes. He did a Vita too, didn't he? He did do a Vita. Okay. And he did my one of my favorite films, Commitments. The Commitments. Hey, what's this? What's what? Have you got soul? If so, the world's hardest working band is looking for you. Contact Jay Rabbit. I'm putting a band together. Do you need a singer? Wise men say. Who are your influences? Led Zeppelin. Sinead O'Connor. Uh, Barry Manilow. Joan Bias, uh, Johnny Mitchell, uh... Wings. Well, what kind of music are we going to be playing, Jimmy? Soul. 
So. That's what you've got to measure up to, lads. Well, like, maybe we're a little foist. Man, I saw this film in college, and it just rocked my world. This was a great, great film for me. Uh, the story is about, uh, air quotes here again, the world's hardest working band, or at least that's what they called themselves. Uh, you have a, a, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Rabbit, played by Robert Arkins, who I've seen in other things, but he's never really had a starring role anywhere else. Hmm. He's basically the manager of a band. He puts a band together. He wants a soul band to bring out the soul in Dublin, Ireland. He wants to bring the soul back to Ireland. Uh, So he goes around compiling this band, and uh, his goal is to just make it big. He wants his band to just take off. And what we have in the span of about a 90-minute movie is the formation and the complete crash and burn of a film, (laughs) of of a band in the course of that film. And even though this band is so small and so local and so limited in its exposure, they go through the same roller coaster ride that a big U2 or Rolling Stones have gone through where you've got uh, relationships between the band members. You've got a lot of little intrigue. You've got drama. You've got outside influences all affecting the band. Uh, I mean, there's a guy that they bring into the band, a trumpet player, uh, Joey, the lips Fagan. And there's a question about, was he really the trumpet player on the Beatles? All you need is love or not. You know, <laughs> it's just a lot of interesting characters making up this, this film. You've got a lead singer that I think at the time of this film was made, it was only 16 or 17 years old, yeah. but just an amazing, amazing soulful voice. And so he's the reckless lead singer that they have to rein in and keep sober and everything. And <laughs> it's just, it's a fun movie. Uh, I will say the, the accents are a little tough sometimes to make out. Um, it's one of those films where the first 15, 20 minutes, I, I didn't understand half of what was being said. But you know what? It's okay. The music itself is what you want to watch this film for. It's a funny movie. I laugh out loud in several spots in this film every time I see it. But the music, uh, they put on some great performances and some great soul songs. Their rendition of Try a Little Tenderness is just beautiful. And it's just a great five minutes of film right in the middle of that movie. Hmm. So anyway, The Commitments, it was one of my favorite movies when I, when I saw it back in college. I uh, got to see it in Chapel Hill, which was just a great experience to see it in. And wonderful film. Really recommend if you have any interest in kind of the uh, documentary style making of a band, uh, uh, band drama. This is it's a perfect film to riff off all that. So cool. you've seen it, right, Chris? I have. And actually, I need to I, – I, li- I remember liking it okay, but I need to go back and revisit it because – you know, there was kind of like that British invasion that happened at some point, not with the Beatles, movie-wise, where it was like um, the full Monty and train spotting, train spotting. And, which was not a comedy. But it was like there were all these small British independent mm-hmm. comedies that kind of came over. And I saw most, I saw Commitments when it was like on video. So I saw it after the fact and after I'd seen all these other ones. So to me, it felt – I mean, it was still good, but I felt in a way I was kind of like burned out on British comedies mm, or right. small independent – but actually, it sounds like, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably one of the first it was. to kind of make. So I need to go back and kind of watch it now that that's well, kind of faded. I'll tell you, too, too, the movie spawned two soundtrack albums. Oh, wow. Because they actually recorded as a band and performed as a band outside of the film. Okay. So these actors actually were a band that played at some places. They put out two albums, one of all songs from the movie, the mm-hmm. other one songs that were kind of inspired by the making of the movie gotcha. in the same, the same genre there. Okay. Uh, interesting note. The lead character in the movie Once that I recommended a couple months ago. Yeah. 
was one of the members of the commitments in the movie. He was uh-huh. the uh, guitar player in the commitments. Wow. Okay. I don't remember his name. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was the main character in once. Uh, and this was one of his early movies that he's primarily a musician, but he has acted in a couple films. Sure. He was one of the band members in the film, the commitments playing huh. with them. So anyway, small world there. Yeah. So check it out. You've got the trip and you've got the commitments, both, uh, both overseas import films, but well worth your time, both funny, which is good because yep. we are coming off of take shelter, which was not funny. Um, <laughs> And, and talking about some directors losing their cool, which is yeah, never funny either. Funny so either. We uh, want people to do Although that. the happening was kind of funny. Yes. I will take that back. That was kind of funny. <laughs> so with that, I think we're done for this month. We've done our three segments. We appreciate everybody sticking around and listening with us. Uh, a few housekeeping rules here for the MESH in general. As I mentioned, we do have the MESH line, 828-619-0048. Let us know your thoughts, questions, suggestions, ideas for future episodes. Uh, look us up on Facebook. If you're one of those Facebook people, uh, search for foot candle, uh, foot candle film society. That's where you can find everything we're doing. We post up information about our screenings, our shows, everything we're doing there in the world of film. And then go on iTunes and give us a star rating, search for foot candle films, give us a star rating, give us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. We'd really like to get some feedback from everybody about this. Uh, and as always, check out the mesh.tv for all of the other mesh programs. And uh, we just, we love the support. We love hearing back from, from audiences and what they're, what they're digging with what we're doing. So give us that feedback with that. We will wrap it up today. Chris, you uh, going to have a good, uh, happy holiday season. Yeah, I hope so. And I'll have to start formulating the list to kind of say, I guess the best of 2011. Well, I'll I was going to say that. actually January, that's going to be something we're going to do is we're sure. going to mention uh, our favorite films of 2011 and what we're going to do is we're going to mention not only our favorite film overall, but also our favorite foot candle film for 2011, because we did have about 12 or 14 really good screenings mm-hmm. this past year. And uh, we're going to talk about which ones really rose to the top and maybe which ones stuck to the bottom as well. We'll see. <laughs> our best and worst of 2011 will be coming up in our January episode. But until then, uh, happy holidays to everyone. And we'll look forward to seeing you at the movies next month. Take care. See you. Watch films in the company of like-minded people in the dark Watch films in the underground We won't let anyone know where you are The films that don't make it to Carmike at the mall Or ones that were famous when Grandpa would watch Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.